If you would, grab your Bibles. It's time to listen to what God is saying. Today our passage is Isaiah chapter 25. If you're using a blue Bible, it's page 652. Isaiah chapter 25. We will cover the entire passage. I'm sorry, the entire chapter. Isaiah 25, the entire chapter. Next week, we will be in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. So write that down if you would and read it a few times this week. Dig into it as much as you can. So next week's passage is the passage that we've been reading at the beginning of our service these past three weeks. These four Sundays of Advent. We've been reading about a servant who will bring justice to the nations. So we will... We will Meditate on that and dive into that. Yeah. So, our passage today is one of those that just has incredible, incredible news in it. There is so many promises in this passage for the people of God. Advent is a season of anticipation and waiting. And as we look at these promises in chapter 25 today, I want you to recognize that these things have already been accomplished. These things are currently being accomplished. And these things will be fully accomplished at some point in the future. Whenever you look in the Bible and look towards the future, you look towards the end, you have to recognize that there's this tension between what has already taken place and what hasn't yet taken place. And what we're going to read about today, in some ways it's already been fulfilled, in some ways it's being fulfilled presently, And in other ways, it it will finally and fully be fulfilled at a time yet to come. And that is just the nature of how our God works. Put a bit more simply, Christ did many of these things when he came the first time. The Spirit of God in us today is doing these things in us now. And then Christ, when he returns... For a second coming to the earth, will fully accomplish these things in the future. If you've read up on things about the end in the Bible, if that's something you're interested in, if it's something you've studied a lot, you may feel the temptation to be like, well, is that going to be future or is that like something he already did? I want to tell you with, and that's a good question. I'm not, I don't want to. And validate that question. But I want to ask you to not get hung up on that. And I want to tell you as you read this today. Ask yourself. How has God already done this? How is he doing it? And how will he do it? How has he fulfilled this in the past? How is he doing it in us presently? And how will he do it in the future? And if you think through it like that. I believe that you're going to be quite blessed by what we read today. So Isaiah 25, 1 through 12. Follow along with me, please. O Lord, you are my God. 
I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old. Faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap. The fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor. A stronghold to the needy in his distress. A shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the approach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab shall be trampled down in his place. As straw is trampled down in a dung hill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it. As a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls. He will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground, to the dust. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give ourselves to it. Read it a few minutes. And when the time is right, your table leader will begin the discussion. Okay. Isaiah 25. So the the book of Isaiah is, and I shared some of this last week, is a collection of many different messages from Isaiah. Okay, I'm getting it elsewhere. All right, we'll talk later, son. Thank you. Um, the the book of Isaiah is a collection of many different messages. From Isaiah. And some of those messages just cover one chapter of Isaiah. Like chapter one is a single message. And then last week we saw chapters two through five is a single message from Isaiah. Well, we're in chapter 25 today, and chapter 25 is part of a larger message. It begins in chapter 24. It's chapter 25, it's chapter 26, and it ends in chapter 27. So we're just looking at part 
of one of Isaiah's message. And we're looking at what I, I believe is probably the best part, the most exciting part. It's Advent. We're, we, there's so much to look forward to. We're looking at the promises of God. And it is my prayer that day in and day out in our life that we may have great joy as we anticipate all that is yet to come. This message from chapter 24 through 27 is about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a huge theme in Scripture. We do see it in the New Testament, but we see it mentioned so often in Old Testament prophecy. The day of the Lord refers to a day at the end of history, the day, that last day, that day when Christ returns. It refers to the final battle. It refers to Christ's final and complete victory. But the day of the Lord also makes references to many days throughout history where God has given victory to a nation and has brought defeat and judgment to another nation, like at the end of a war. Israel understood as these prophets were preaching in Isaiah's day and in the, the century or two that followed, Israel understood the day of the Lord to be a time when their nation would be exalted, their nation would be set free, and all the other nations would be judged. And they had some good reasons to feel that way, but, but they missed some of the most important things about the day of the Lord. They missed some of the most beautiful parts about it. They really took the day of the Lord and they made it all about themselves. And if they would have understood rightly, the day of the Lord for them would have been that day when um, other nations like Assyria and Babylon came and conquered them because they had rejected God and had left them behind and said, we're going to worship our own gods the way that we want to, and we're not going to worship the true God. So the day of the Lord came upon them, and in their rejection of God, they were judged. They were killed. They were captured, enslaved, and exiled, and taken to other nations. So the day of the Lord is a reference to a day that is yet to come at the end of history, but it's also a reference to days throughout history. Now, and in centuries past, where there was great judgment. So I told you earlier in Isaiah, we already see an already element to it. Some of these things have already are, are taking place in certain ways. We also see that these things are happening currently in our walk with God today by his spirit in us. And we also see that there is going to be a, a fuller display or a fuller manifestation of these things in the future. In verse one it starts in praise. Now, this is not the start of Isaiah's message. I told you it started in 24. So, so why are they praising God in verse 1? Look at chapter 24, verse 23. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. I just take that to mean the moon and the sun aren't going to be as bright as what they used to be. The moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns. He reigns. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. 
He reigns where? On Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And his glory will be before his elders. So chapter 24 is a message of destruction to the evil in the world. To those who reject God, great judgment is coming. And at the end of that long description of judgment, almost an entire chapter devoted to it, Isaiah says that the Lord of hosts is going to reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. So we get to verse 1, and the people of God are responding in praise. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. So God's bringing judgment on the evil. The people of God are praising God, and they're saying... God, we know these were in your plans. This wicked nation, that wicked nation rising up against your people is no surprise to you, O God. But these are your plans. You're destroying the evil. And God, we want to praise you that you destroy that which was evil. Imagine if God did not destroy evil. What would our world be like? What hope would we have? There's only so much evil destroying we can do ourselves, right? By God's spirit, we get to destroy evil in us. It's called repentance. But there's only much, only so much destruction of evil we can do in this world. So God reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Chapter 24, verse 23 says, And we... Praise God. Commentator Matthew Henry compares chapter 25 and chapter 24 together. And he says this. Chapter 25 looks as pleasantly on the church as chapter 24 looks dreadfully upon the world. Chapter 25 looks as pleasantly and as favorably on the church as chapter 24 looks dreadfully upon the world. We jump into verses 2 through 5, and we see it as a summary of God's judgment and His salvation. You made the city a heap, a fortified city a ruin. What's a fortified city? A city, a fortified city is a city with walls all around it. It's not easy to get into. There are ancient accounts of great battles. Even one in Jerusalem that took place from 67 A.D. to 70 A.D. It took three years for the bad guys to get in there. Three years for them to get through that wall to destroy what was left of the city. So a fortified city is a powerful place. Verse 2 goes on to say the foreigner's palace is not going to be rebuilt. Verse 3 tells us that powerful nations are going to know this. And some of those nations are going to fear God. Part of what God does when he brings judgment, when he brings significant, public, noticeable judgment, is that other people are afraid. We see that with church discipline in a local church. We see that with, I mean, good grief, California. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, just, I won't go there any more than that. But if you examine history, you see judgment come and, 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 and it should cause people to fear God. But verses four and five talks about how God protects the poor. He protects the needy. He protects those who cannot 
protect themselves. He's a shelter in the storm. He's shade from the heat. In these verses 2 through 5, we see that those who considered themselves strong now must recognize that they are not strong at all, but that there is a God who has authority over them. Verses 2 through 5 shows us that those who did the most to be strong and powerful have no strength at all. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, God pronounces judgment on those who take advantage of the needy. You all, we don't pick on people who can't take care of themselves. And that has applications to bullies in school. That has applications to how our federal government deals with other nations. That has applications to how you treat your coworker and your neighbor. But in Isaiah 10, 1 and 2, it says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. Woe to the powerful. Judgment is coming to the powerful who do things to oppress those who can't fight back. Woe to those who turn aside the needy from justice. Woe to those who rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. See, kids, orphans, who's going to fight for them? Widows, it's better today than it was in Isaiah's day, but widows who don't have a man to provide and care for them, their life is so much harder. And they, for evil people, there's a target on them. You ever seen scammers try to take care of old, or take advantage of old people? Well, that's what this is talking about. You know, you get old, you start missing things, right? And that time sets in. I mean, I, I got a, a sweet neighbor. Y'all know him. You know, his mind's gone. I love the man. But yeah, Jennifer and I have a responsibility to protect him and look out for him. So the powerful who take advantage of the needy, and we're going to talk about this a lot more next week, and the poor. Judgment is coming to them. I love verse 5, the end of it. The song of the ruthless is put down. Y'all bad guys got their songs too, don't they? You know, all you got to do is turn the radio on to hear it. The songs of the ruthless, I believe, will be put down by the song of God's people. The songs that we're singing today. It's going to silence and drown out their wicked music. Look at 25 verse 1 of our passage again. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. That is a song of praise to God. That song is never going to stop throughout eternity. But the song of the ruthless, that song is coming to an end because their judgment is coming and they will have nothing to be happy about. Look at chapter 25, verse 9. Look at this song. Behold, it will be said, I'm sorry, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So we get to verses 6 through 8. And here's, 
Here's my favorite part of the passage is verses 6, 7, and 8. Look at all the Lord does for his people, you all. He prepares a feast. He swallows up death. He brings death to an end. He wipes away our grief. He wipes away our reproach and our shame. Verse 6, on this mountain. Which mountain? Look back at chapter 24, verse 3. I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 23. The last verse of the previous chapter. On Mount Zion in Jerusalem. We saw last week that Mount Zion in Jerusalem not only has to do with a physical place on the other side of the world, but it also has to do with God being with his people. So when I look at verses 6 through 8, when I think about that mountain, when I think about Mount Zion, the Lord reigns in us, his people, right? So here on that mountain, on this mountain, verse 6 says, in us. And the people of God in 2022 and throughout all the centuries. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. You know, the people of God eating lots of delicious food, that's a theme throughout Scripture. How many of y'all can say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord? Okay, if you're if you're the type of person that's quiet in church, you're not allowed to be quiet right now. This is something to be really happy about. Okay, it's going to be a feast. Think about the Old Testament feasts. The Old Testament law required six different feasts for the Jewish people. Six. We look at Revelation and we see mention made of the marriage supper of the Lamb in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. The law of God says man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What nourishes you and brings you life? It's the word of God. That's why we need to stay awake during sermons. That's why we need to read the Bible constantly. That's why we need to teach the Bible to our family. That's why we need to speak the word of the Lord at work. That's why we need to come to church every Sunday. That's why we need to participate in the discussions We live off of the word of God. And this verse was so important. Jesus quoted this verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He was with the devil in the wilderness. The devil was tempting him. And Jesus looked straight at him and said, Oh, devil, let me tell you, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that that comes mouth from the the word of God. What is it that we're feasting on right now? It's his, his word. In Psalm 63, verse 5, it says, My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. What what what, What nourishes our soul? What satisfies us spiritually? It has to do with this fat and rich food. Psalm 63 goes on to say, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. See, as we nourish ourselves and feast on the word of God, there's incredible satisfaction. Are you in a place of despair? Are you in a place of hopelessness? Do you dread waking up every day? Let me tell you, there is joy to be found in the word of God. There is nourishment 
to be gained. I, I love verse 6, Isaiah 25, 6. It's a feast of rich food full of marrow. I don't know much about marrow, but I'm learning a little bit about it right now. Marrow is what you get when you cut through the bone of an animal and then slow cook that bone for a long period of time. It is some of the most quality nourishment that you can give to your body. Just go on YouTube and like, right, just type in how to cook marrow. So we had an animal harvest on our property recently and we had soup bones go into the oven I'm, I'm sorry, go into a stock pot within a few hours. And Jennifer made a soup with it that night. It was the most, it, it, I'm going to use a term that may come across negative, but it, it was not negative, trust me. <laughs> it was so fatty in the most ultimate satisfying way. It was delicious, some of the best food I ever had. It wasn't fatty in a nasty fast food sort of way. It was fatty in a satisfying, like you sit down and it's just like, man, I have never felt so good in all of my life. This feast will be satisfying you all. And at this feast, there is wine. Obviously, in the Bible, there are great warnings towards the dangers of wine. But I want to tell you, and, and this was proven true to me on Friday as I was digging into the symbol of wine throughout Scripture. There are more places in the Bible that talks about wine being a part of joyful living. And joy in a good way, not just the wild party that, that's fun for a few hours that you regret for days or for your whole life because you did something stupid. But wine is a symbol of, of prosperity and of blessing and well-being. Wine is not for everyone. You're not wrong if you decide to refrain from wine. But in the Bible, wine is a symbol of the blessing of God. And at this feast, you will see and know the blessing of God. Moving on to verse 7 and 8. He will swallow up on this mountain. Okay? All right, we were just talking about a feast. What happens when you swallow something? It's gone, right? It's gone. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Okay, so right here, there's a covering over all the nations. There's a veil over all peoples. When you have a veil, you can't see as good, right? Things aren't as clear as when the veil is removed. What is the covering? What is the veil? What is God going to swallow up? He's going to swallow up death, it says. Look at it. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Is it death going to come back? It's going to be gone. If the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, we're going to die, right? But maybe he'll come back before you die and I die. If so, maybe he'll come back today. If so, we won't ever die. 
But there is coming a point when death is gone forever. Now, I told you some of this has already been fulfilled. I want to tell you that I believe that there is a partial fulfillment of this verse already. Just as the feast was the word of God to nourish us today, and then there's a, a greater feast that's coming in the future. So death will be conquered in the future, but did you know that death has already been conquered in a particular sense? How has death already been conquered? Well, Jesus rose from the dead, right? Jesus conquered death. Jesus swallowed it up. Death wanted to swallow him, but he swallowed it. Amen? That's awesome. How exciting and wonderful is that? The grave could not hold him. Jesus taught in John chapter 5, verse 25. He says this. An hour is coming and is now here. Did you hear that? When Jesus was alive, he says the hour is coming and is now here. Now, back then is when he was there. So John 5, 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I want to tell you, there's not just a physical resurrection that is to come, but there is a spiritual resurrection. Well, how does that happen? How do I get that? I want that, right? I'll tell you how you receive that spiritual resurrection. You believe in Jesus Christ and are saved. And God comes in and gives you spiritual life because you were spiritually dead. If anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. That new is the life of the Spirit. It is the resurrected life. We're going to look at that in a few more very deeply in Romans 6 in a few months. All right, so more about the destruction of death. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus says this to John. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What is Hades? Hades was that place of the dead that dead people went to before Christ went back up to heaven. It was the Old Testament place of the dead. There was an area for the people of God that had died and there was an area for those who did not belong to God. That died. They were two very different places, but they were both in Hades. And here Jesus says, I have the keys of death in Hades. And I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he went to Hades. And you know what? He had the keys, so he walked out of there. First one that ever did that. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. So we have the destruction of death in the past. We have the destruction of death presently. But I want to tell you that death is destroyed in the future as well. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everybody. And and I don't mean that in one word. I mean that as two words. Every body. Every physical body. Gene, you got one. I got one. Noel's got one. We all got one, right? Each of those bodies are going to awake. Daniel 12, 2 says, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. You know what that means. Jesus taught the same thing in John chapter 5, verse 28. He says this, do not marvel at this. 
That's Jesus' way of saying, y'all, this is pretty basic. Don't be surprised. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, most, uh, there's a lot of wonderful people who say this is about a rapture, and I say no, it's about the resurrection, our resurrection. It says this, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is our physical resurrection. So, in this Advent season, we always sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, a lot. Sometimes we sing it all four Sundays. That's intentional. That's not a mistake. That song captures the heart of this season better than any other song I've ever heard. We sang it earlier today. A couple of the lines. Come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own. It's all about Jesus, the rod of Jesse. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. See, even in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, there's anticipation and eagerness and strong desire for the future that is yet to come. In one of the later verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it says that death's dark shadows is put to flight. This morning, you were singing of these truths that death is swallowed up by God. So when we move on through verses 6 through 8, well, well, it's in verse 8. There is a promise that God is going to take away our grief. Raise your hand if you got grief. You got it, don't you? Verse 8 says, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Y'all, God's already doing that. Is there not joy in our Christian life? You all, there is joy in our Christian life. If you're a Christian and you do not have joy at some level, I'm not saying you got to be fake and say, I'm blessed all the time, even when you don't feel that way. I ain't saying that at all. All right? You can be honest. You can be real. I ain't telling you to put on a show here. But, like, yeah, you're going to have some down days. But let me ask you this. Is joy a regular part of your life? Joy is for the people of God. God is wiping away our grief as we submit to him in loving obedience. And he is replacing that grief with joy. I need some joy, y'all. I've got some joy, but I need some more of it. Psalm 37, 4 It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Is God your joy, church? If God is not your greatest joy, then you need to repent. You've got wrong priorities. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, it's another command to have joy. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What did the angels say to the shepherds in that field that night that Jesus was born? 
They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the shepherds, I'm sorry, the angels announced to the shepherds, this is a gospel of great joy. Joy is for the people of God. Paul writes in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I challenge you to daily inspect yourselves and ask yourself, do you have joy? Are you up for that challenge? Ask yourself, do I have joy? Be honest with yourself. If you're married, ask your spouse. Baby, do I got joy? (laughs) They'll they'll be more honest with you than you will be. And let them be honest with you. Don't get offended if they say no. All right. Do you have joy? Inspect your life. Evaluate your life. If joy is not a major part of your life, then repentance is needed. Growth is needed. God right now, is wiping away the tears from our faces. Now, when I say you got to rejoice, I'm not saying you deny the tough stuff. But with God, there is a way to have joy through the tough stuff. I believe that with all my heart. You all, there's also the wiping away of tears in the future. And God, while God now is gradually wiping away our tears, we don't have as many as we used to. There's going to be a day where we have none. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19. For a people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. The people of God will weep no more. Isaiah 65, 18 and 19. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Listen to this. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more in the people of God shall be heard the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about that. And then Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. Y'all, that's why we got joy because God is right there. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Praise God, y'all. Praise God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Incredible promises, church. Look at the end of verse 8. God removes our shame. It says the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has taken or or has spoken. The reproach, the shame, the disgrace of God's people, God will take away from all the earth the Lord has spoken. 
That's God's way of saying like, y'all, this is me saying this. this that means that's real. The Lord has spoken. You all, God turns the hardest things in our lives into joy. Did you hear me say that? Think about the hardest thing in your life right now. What are you... If you had to tell everyone in this room everything about yourself except for one thing, what one thing would you withhold and keep to yourself? Think about the deepest, darkest, nastiest part of you. God's going to take that away. That's comforting, isn't it? The thing that you regret the most. Now, we all got skeletons in our closet. I mean, the truth is we don't because God took them away, but we still act like they're there. <laughs> but you all, he's going to take them away. There's just coming a point where he's going to take them away in such a way that you're not even going to be able to fool yourself into thinking that they're still there. The worst things you've ever done, God's going to take that away too. We get to verse 9. It will be said on that day. Y'all, when you read Old Testament prophecy, you see the word that day a lot. It's important. It's the day of the Lord. On that day. Listen to what the people of God say. Behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Y'all, God's going to swallow up death. He's going to conquer the bad guys. He's going to take away our grief. He's going to take away our shame. And when we see him come back, when he takes us from the earth and comes and conquers his enemies and then sets up the new heavens, new earth right here together. We're going to say, behold, this is our God. Think about all the false gods that people worship out there. Nobody else can say this. We're the only ones that say, can say that God is going to do these things. No other religion promises or claims these things, to my knowledge. And even if they did, they'd be liars, right? Behold, this is our God. He is a God that loves people. He is a God that is patient with people. He is a God that is going to conquer and take away all that we dread the most. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Two times it says we've waited for him. Then it goes on to say, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You all, when that day comes, we will see the Lord in a whole new way. He's already beautiful to us now, but we're going to see his beautiful, his beauty and his infiniteness and there's not going to be any remaining or indwelling sin within us that make it hard for us to see him all the struggles and temptations of this life are going to be gone so when you look at your savior 
It's just going to be nothing but perfect beauty. You're going to see him as he really is. We will see the Lord in a new, unique way. Now that death is dead. Now that our joy has come and our shame and our reproach has been taken away. Will you be saying this on that day? Do you belong to the people of God? Are you waiting for him to come? Church, people, do you belong to God? Is he your greatest hope? Is he what you are looking forward to the most? You all, it is not in vain that we wait for him. He will come and he will do all of these things. Let us live our lives each and every day with no excuses. Let us live our lives in light of these truths in his holy word. Let's live our lives knowing that while this week might be tough, Eternity is going to be glorious. And that far outweighs the difficulties of our present day. And again, I'm not denying your difficulties. I don't deny your sleepless nights, your fears, your worries, your concerns, your regret. I don't want to deny the reality of those things. God can walk you through those in this life. But you must, we must turn our eyes to these greatest, most important, final, eternal realities in this life if we are going to overcome the difficulties of this life. Fix your eyes on your God who is coming to you. Look at him. Gaze upon him. And don't look to anyone else or anything else to save you. Nothing else. No one else. Him and him alone. And whether he comes before we die or after we die, it doesn't matter. This is the story of the people of God. Amen. Let's pray, church. Let's pray.